I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live, and I'm just going to brag on myself here a little bit. I, I am here uh, doing uh, an interview to inspire you and bless you. I'm not at the Rangers, the Texas Rangers World Series Parade, which is just a few miles from here. So just letting you know that I could be out having a good time in this beautiful weather celebrating the Texas Rangers historic World Series win. Congratulations to the team. But no, actually, I've got something more important. And, uh, and I'm teasing a little bit, but no, we do have something today that uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It's one of those stories that you just go, man, you know, but it's also uh, something designed to bring you hope. And so I appreciate you guys being here whenever you're watching, whether you're live watching us and chat is open or you're watching in the replay. It's, it's great to see you because there is something you need to hear, uh, whether it just lifts your spirits today or it really reaches you in a place where you think maybe you have no hope and and that is this there is there is hope and it's we're going to tell you where you can find it and we're going to demonstrate through the story today that uh, it's for everyone everyone my guest today is julie seals this is her book that just came out it's called all my hope Subtitle is A Prisoner No More, and a lot of times in the Christian world, we use that as a metaphor, as we should, but it's literal. <laughs> in this case, it is literal, so stick around. You're going to want to hear this story. Julie, great to have you on Life Today Live. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is a joy to be here. I'm very excited, and I feel extra special <laughs> that you are talking to me instead of enjoying that game. <laughs> instead of the Rangers celebration, but we're still celebrating around here a little bit, you know. So I had I had to at least mention that on a Friday. Well, let's let's hear a little bit of your story um, because you were in prison, and we'll get to why. But take us back a little bit further, maybe, so we can understand. What led you down the path that eventually landed you in, in jail? So I'll take you all the way back to okay. the beginning. I was born with a birth defect called spina bifida. Mm. And the doctors thought I was going to die when I was born. So they gave me to my parents. And I had like a big hole in my back and my spinal cord was coming out through the skin. Mm. They gave me to my parents and said, she's going to die. So my parents took me home to die. But God had other plans. Mm. When I was six months old, my mom brought me back to the doctor and she's like, well, she's still with us. Mm. So they did surgery to close my back up. And there was a big tumor wrapped around my spinal cord. They pushed that inside and sewed me up. And the doctors said that I was going to be developmentally disabled and that I would never be able to walk. Mm. And my parents took me home again and nobody told me what that doctor's prognosis was. And I was reading before I was two, I was walking, I was in advanced classes in school and just normal like other kids. But when I got to my teenage years where you grow real fast and you go through a growth spurt. Mm -hmm. I had that tumor still wrapped around my spinal cord and it was hanging on to nerves that go through your legs to your feet. Mm. So I lost all the feeling in my feet when I was only 12 
and the pain was horrific. So doctors started putting me on uh, prescription pain medication when I was 12 years old. Jeez. And addiction actually runs rampant in my family on both sides. I didn't know that mm. at the time. And that really started to kick in those genes. Um, I started to get infected ulcers. By the time I was 18 years old, I had a giant gaping hole in the bottom of my left foot where you could see the bone and everything. It mm. was pretty gross. Mm. And from the time I was 18 to the time I was 28, I had 12 plus surgeries trying to save my foot. And finally, my left leg was amputated below the knee. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. So during all of those years, just imagine that I was using prescription pain medication. Mm -hmm. And when I grew up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So my mom and dad, they were loving people. They were professionals. My dad was a doctor. My mom was an electrical aerospace engineer, mm -hmm. but they also were functional alcoholics. So I don't remember a night where they didn't come home and drink alcohol every night, you know? And so I grew up thinking that that was normal. So as I'm going through the years on prescription pain medication, alcohol got mixed in yeah. with that oh, and it made this big mess. And so by the time my leg was amputated, I was hopelessly addicted to alcohol. And and then I started running with the wrong crowd. And so you could throw crystal methamphetamine and nightclubs and the party scene oh, into wow. all of that. So, so that, go ahead, you're, sorry. You're, no, I'm just wondering because, okay, so you, I know, and I think we know a lot more these days of the dangers of, of a lot of the, the painkillers and things like that as children are growing up uh it, those developmental years um ha, it seems to have a different effect than maybe you know someone who's older who takes it after surgery or something like that um and of course the genetics you know it, there's just not a hard and fast rule sometimes for these things but why the, the jump from um the painkillers because you had severe pain to yes. the recreational drugs or, or was that a way of medicating yourself what what was it was it that made that or was it just an easy jump because yeah. you're like why not i've been taking drugs my whole life right i think that what really happened is i got involved in the wrong crowd yeah. and i grew up in southern california and i started hitting the nightclub scene and just really got involved with the wrong crowd the Word of God says that bad company corrupts good character. Not saying that I was this good character, but um, you know, I I just got involved with the wrong okay. crowd and yeah. ran a hundred miles an hour um, in the wrong direction. Mm. How did you get to the point of strapping the, the drugs around your waist uh, and, and yeah. smuggling? And where were you going? From what? Where to where? Um, well, I. So when I had my leg amputated, I also had a little boy. His name was Tyler, and he was only a year old when my leg was amputated. Mm. Um, the marriage that I was in at the time was toxic. It was not good. And I thought that the answer was to run away from life. Sometimes when things are going horribly wrong and we don't realize that maybe we even play a role in the horribly wrong, which was the case for me. I thought it was all these, you know, I made excuses. 
for my bad decisions. And I ended up taking my little boy and running away across the country because I thought if I got away from everything in life that was hard and I ran away, that everything would get better. The only problem was when I ran away, I moved from California to Tennessee and my biggest problem was still there because I was my biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple years later, I went through a really awful custody battle and my greatest fear came to pass when my little boy was taken away from me mm. because I was a strung out, addicted, awful mess. And after my boy was taken away from me, my dad ended up dying of lung cancer completely unexpectedly. We didn't even know he was sick. Mm. And to nutshell things, because we're getting to what made me strap four pounds of crystal meth around my waist. Right. In a short period of time, in a four-year period of time, I had uh, had my leg amputated, lost custody of my only son, my dad died, and I decided to run away from life and actually end my life. So when all those losses happened, I moved to Mexico with a plan to end my life. In Tijuana, I gave a pharmacist a $20 bill and he gave me a bunch of pills because you can find crooked people over there. And um, I went and rented this little apartment and I was going to end my life. Mm. And instead, I thought, you know, I've just made a mess of everything I did. So instead of taking all the pills, I just made up my mind that I was going to stay numb with alcohol and pills and drugs because I learned from a young age that staying numb kills pain. Yeah. And as I was in Mexico, I started hanging out with people who were, they had meth labs, they were involved with mafia. And again, I was like a magnet for all the wrong people. And it wasn't long before I had a meth lab in my house and the Federales were raiding my house with machine guns, the Mexican Drug Task Force. Gosh. So, <laughs> There I am in that place of desperation. And I had a problem, a chronic infected ulcer with my only remaining foot. It swelled up. There was blood poisoning. And a doctor in Mexico said, you're going to lose your only remaining leg. Hmm. I got home to this home I was renting in Mexico. And it was, I fell to my knees. And, you know, sometimes in life we have this one thing happen and it's the last straw, it's the icing on the cake. And that was it for me. And I remember falling to my knees in the living room of this house I was renting. By now I'm in Ensenada because I kept moving further south in Mexico every time an attempt was made on my life. Mm. And I started crying out to God for the first real time in my life. I always believed he was real. I just didn't know how to get to him. And I cried out to him and I said, God, I need you to become the center of my life or I'm going to be lost forever. And why, why, why God? Because I mean, yeah. you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Did, did you, I mean, was just desperation or was there something there that made you think that maybe, you know, God could intervene? There was a seed planted in my life by my sister Susie. She came, she was actually my half sister. And when I was 15 years old, Susie came to live with us. Uh, my mom, my dad, and my little sister and my big sister, Susie, she came to live with us. Mm. And she was a newly born again Christian. And she 
told me about Jesus and that I must be born again. And she had me say the sinner's prayer with her. <laughs> and I didn't understand it, right. but I said it because I knew she loved me and was worried about me. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? Here's what I love about that. That that, that's something. I mean, you could have gone years and years where your half sister said, "said You know, I I tried, I, I tried to do something for Julie, but clearly it just didn't work." We we don't know when we plant that little seed in someone's life. We don't know when, how, or even if it will grow. But we still need to do that. And I, I don't know. I, for somebody out there is, is probably got a loved one who is, they think is never, they think they're too far gone, but they've planted that seed or they're thinking about having that conversation. And I'm just saying plant that seed because look what it did for you. Yes, absolutely. And I knew that that seed came alive because I'm going to jump ahead a little bit for a second. Mm-hmm. When I was arrested and taken to federal prison for walking across the international border with four pounds of crystal meth duct taped around my waist, and I was in prison during that first week, prison ministers came in and one of them, she came over to me and said, did you know that Jesus loves you very much? (laughs) And she gave me the gospel. (laughs) And as she was giving me the gospel, all of a sudden I remembered what my sister Susie had told me about, I must be born again. And that seed just sprung to life. It Mm. was not dead, it was dormant. And so absolutely you plant seed in somebody's life and you just keep praying and God's gonna send people to water it and circumstances, arrange circumstances so that the soil is right. The soil of my heart was finally ready when I was in prison for that seed to come alive. So you, you got busted. Um, I, d- I did. Well, okay. I kind of turned myself in. So the day after I prayed that prayer and asked God to become the center of my life, um, I went to sleep and I got up the next morning and nothing seemed different. I didn't feel different. I didn't think God heard me. And the mafia came over and asked if I would take drugs across the border for money. And I was so desperate that I thought, you know, I just don't care anymore what I do. And I told him I would do it. So I let them duct tape the four pounds of meth around my waist as they're driving me to the border, this woman was driving me to the border and I looked across the hillside and the huts and the poverty in Tijuana as we got close to the border. And this voice that I had never heard before came into my head, not audibly, mm-hmm. and said, Julie, this is the last time you're ever going to see this. And I got nervous and I was like, what's that? So when I got out of the car on the Mexico side, I was supposed to walk through to America. And this woman was going to pick me up on the U.S. side and drive me to the mafia. And I felt the presence of God come over me like a shield, like a bubble. And instead of walking all the way through, as I was crossing the border, I walked up to a U.S. marshal with a gun. And I told her what I was doing, and I turned myself in. Oh, and that wow. wasn't my plan. <laughs> well, oh, now, did that put your life in danger from the cartels? Well, uh, if, the, if any of them are alive and see this, they, they may say, hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've got to share my story for God's glory yeah. because... That, well, okay, so the cartel doesn't know that I turned myself in. <laughs> you, you just they said think I got caught. I just, I just, I just said it. myself. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I wasn't uh, going to say it. <laughs> yeah, I just told on myself. But, um, you know, that's what happened. Hmm. That's so, what happened. Uh, where, where did that land you and how long did it land you there? It landed me in the Federal Metropolitan Correctional Center in downtown San Diego. I was, um, it, it was such a relief because it was free rehab for one thing. I had been mm. addicted heavily for 17 years wow. and I was supposed to do 17 years to life. Um, the judge, the United States federal judge, um, he sent, not sentenced, but he arraigned me at 17 years to life. And my mom was in the courtroom. Mm. And when I looked at her and our eyes met and the brokenness and the pain, yeah. um, it, it just killed me. I wanted to, you know, it was so hard to know I caused that pain. But God is so faithful and he's so good that he allowed me during my time of incarceration to have honest conversations with my mom on the phone. And I was able to apologize and say, Mom, I've been a drug addict. I've been a liar most of my life. I'm so, so sorry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I was able to have that closure. And, and that that's an, that's an amazing thing because sometimes we literally, people literally, literally go to prison in order to be set free. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to show people your book. This is All My Hope uh, by Julie Seals. It's available where you, wherever you get books. If you want to get into the details of this story, because we're skipping through it pretty quick here. But <laughs> I, while, while you're in prison, first of all, uh, how long were you there? And really, what did God do in your life in addition to starting to heal the relationship with your mother and even you know bringing you to a place of honesty? What all, what, what all happened there? Well, I was there for a total of 22 months. Oh, wow. I gave my life to Jesus the first week I was there, and those volunteers came in. And the first thing that happened is, remember, I had that gaping, infected hole in the bottom of my only remaining foot. Yeah, yeah. But I started reading a Bible that someone gave me, and for the first time in my life, it was like reading it with an unveiled mind, mm. mind and eyes. And I read in Isaiah where it says that by his stripes, we were healed. And I said, and I felt like God told me, you know, this is for you. And, and I paid for this. And so I prayed with a bunch, some inmates who had given their lives to Jesus. And in two months time, I watched this big gaping infected hole on the bottom of my foot get smaller and smaller and smaller until it completely closed and fresh skin grew over the top of it. Mm. And I made God a promise. I said, God, when you heal this, I'm going to put in a request to go to medical and I'm going to show the doctor because the doctor in prison, when I went to see him, he said, oh, we got to wait for gangrene to set in and we're going to send you out for amputation. Jeez. That's what they said the first week I was there. And I put in a request two months later, got in front of that doctor. I said, do you remember? Because I told the doctor I had just given my life to Jesus. And I said, no, no, Jesus is going to heal me. And he laughed. Yeah, sure. Well, two months later, I'm sitting in front of him. And I said, do you remember that? And he said, yes. And I took off my sock and I stuck my foot in his face. And I said, <laughs> well, look at this. And his eyes got big. And he got up close to me and he said, I know Jesus did that because that's impossible. Wow. 
And that was the first of many, many miracles that God has done in my life. So you were only in prison 22 months total on a 17 to life? Yes. I mean, that that right there is... (laughs) Uh, I don't, that's, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, either really awesome or a little scary, <laughs> right? right? Because what do you, well, you know, what do we do with that? Well, what, what, do you, what, when you look at that though, what, what is it to you? Obviously it's better to be out, but yet you needed a little time inside in order to, to get change. whole again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so a couple things. Number one, I told God, that if he let me out, I would devote the rest of my life to going back in and telling people who are so hopeless that that God has a plan for their life. Mm -hmm. And that plan may look different for them than what it does for me, but Jesus died on the cross to save their soul. And people need to know that. Mm -hmm. So um, what I did when I was in prison is I voluntarily, I I asked the judge to please let me take a 500 hour residential drug and alcohol prevention program while I was in prison, because I knew that in addition to giving my life to Jesus, I needed practical tools and skills to know how do I wake up in the morning and get all the way to nighttime and face the hard things that come in normal life and not drink and not use and not go back to my old ways. So I completed an intense nine month program while I was in prison mm. and it I learned uh, all about cognitive behavioral therapy. I learned <laughs> as Joyce Meyer says, change your stinking thinking. Mm. You know, I learned that it was my faulty thought processes that got me in so much trouble. And um, I replaced my negative toxic thinking with the word of God. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's a crash course. Um, it was. It was boot camp. I loved it. it. Yeah, and and that's and that's great, and that's exactly yeah. what you needed. But you know, in God's timing, uh, he, he, I've known people that have needed a lot longer. Uh, but I think God gave you the intense, and you it it took, and He's like now yeah. prisoner no more, as your your book says. So what what when you when you did get out? Obviously, you're a different person than when you went in in so many ways. Um, what was it like though? Cause that can be a hard adjustment too. Yeah. So my mom, um, died. I was going to live with my mom. Mm. She was at the point where she forgave me. She wanted me to live with her and go to college. And I got called to the chaplain's office two months before I got out of prison and told that my mom had just died in her sleep. And I was homeless when I got out of prison. They let me go to a halfway house. Um, so I had a place to live. And I got special permission to go to college because I made up my mind that I was going to keep my promise to my mom, even though she was not alive. Mm. I wanted to go to school and get my bachelor's degree. So I was living in a halfway house, eating smashed prison bologna sandwiches and grateful to have them. (laughs) And I was going to San Diego City College. And three years after I got out of prison, I was graduating, I was standing on the Oregon Pavilion, Balboa Park, San Diego, graduating with a 4.0. I had won over 20 scholarships. Mm. And the year before I graduated, I was the Chancellor's Award who gave the graduation speech at graduation. And none of that is because I'm smart or great. It's because God takes nobodies and makes them somebody's (laughs) glory. I love it. 
it. it. It's, it's all Jesus. That is the goodness of God. And, you know, it's easy for people to watch interviews like this or to see, you know, somebody who's written a book or whatever and go, okay, that's, that's that person. But you were, you were literally, you know, living in a flop house or a, what, a, <laughs> what, something in, in Mexico. I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, God can do this for everyone. Yes. And I know yeah. you, 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 you tell people that and are you seeing it in others? Yes. I I have a group right now. I live in Lake City, Florida, and I started a little group called Her Hope Recovery. And so I God has been bringing mamas who are in recovery to mm. me and who don't have a support system. Mm. And one of them, her name is Jasmine, and she recently got her five-year-old little girl back from DCF. She um, got all the way through probation. She's off probation. She finished paying her court fine because she wants to come into prison with me and do ministry with me. And she has to be off probation with her fines paid for a year. So that was her motivation is I get to go to prison. I get to go tell people that God can change them Mm. and change their life. And so um, I am seeing it in others. Not as often as I would like to, um, because the key really is full surrender. People, too many times people say, well, I'm going to give Jesus a chance. But then when life and circumstances don't go the way that they hope or the way that they pray, they say, oh, this God stuff doesn't work. And when we surrender to God, we have to surrender everything, including our preconceived ideas of what we think things should turn out like. Trusting that God's plan is actually way bigger and amazing, more amazing. Yeah. And, and then, you know, there is also the prison bargaining that a lot of people do, but with you, it was not just a, uh, uh, some kind of barter with God of, of, I'll make this empty promise. If you'll do this, there was a life change. I mean, you're, you're a completely different person now, are you not? I was, I was at a point where I was grieved in my heart over the person I had become. When I was on my knees in Mexico crying out to God, it was as though that the Holy Spirit pull, pulled blinders off of my eyes. And I saw that I was a sinner in need of a savior instead of a victim of life and all the things that had happened to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, and well. That's what we have. That's what that's called repentance, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. But here's my question now. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who are you today? In God's eyes, who, do you, who are you? In God's eyes, I'm forgiven. I'm his masterpiece. Ephesians 2 and 10 says that we are God's masterpiece. That's We're right. his workmanship right. created in Christ Jesus to do the good things that God had planned for us to do since before time began. God had a plan and a purpose for my life. And I am a woman who is fully surrendered to God, forgiven by him. And and I get the privilege of living for him and sharing him with everybody who will listen. (laughs) And you know what? You have a joy that you certainly didn't have while you're living addicted and on the run right i when i was in prison after giving my life to jesus i was free on the inside 
I was free on the inside of me and yeah. I was free on what society calls the wrong side of the razor wire. And I was fully prepared to do life in prison. And I had joy. I didn't care what side of the razor wire I was on. Hmm. I was going to serve God no matter what side I was on. That That is freedom. And and now yes. and now you're out and you're you're yes. going back into prisons. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, I'm, I've been going into prisons for 18 years now. I love it. I love it. Okay, I just so much here, uh, and again, we're just scratching the surface. I'll show you the book again. It's called All My Hope by Julie Seals, and this is her website right here, julieseals.com, where you can find out more about her. But man, I mean, just the the truths that you are seeing displayed in her life right now number one it's for everybody god's grace his redemption his it's for everyone and any you know matter how many mistakes you've made no matter i mean come on in prison for smuggling drugs and you know i mean that's we consider that a lot of failure right and god can turn it around just like that you can be free even if you're still in a physical prison you can be spiritually free and then and then comes the joy and the hope and the ability to to turn and bring others out of their misery and despair a beautiful it's such a beautiful story i just i love these are the clear examples uh, where god's done an amazing work in someone's life that that exemplify what he wants to do in all of our lives so thank you for that. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go, Julie? Just that God restored my son to my life. I didn't see him for 16 years. Oh, wow. And and God restored him when he was 20 years old. That's a whole story in and of itself. And I, I just want to say that in, in life, things happen, like my mom dying before I got out of prison. And that wasn't the way I prayed. That wasn't the way I wanted things to go. But God is still faithful and because of that loss, I learned that when God is all I have, he literally is all I need. And what you're looking at in the background, this is my home. This isn't even a backdrop. This is my real home. And I have my son in my life and I have a husband who is now a prison chaplain because God had to marry an ex-inmate <laughs> <laughs> to get, put a calling on his life. So um, if we will just surrender completely, mm. God's plan for our life is more incredible than anything we could ever dream up. I love it. I love it. And you don't just say it, you're living it. Yes. And now the plan is to get my book into all the state and federal prisons and bring hope that way. Oh, well, and if anybody yeah. watching, if anybody watching right now, you've got connections <laughs> with prisons or recovery centers yeah. or anything like that, uh, go to julieseals.com and get a hold of her. Uh, and the rest yes. of you, just pray that God will continue to open doors for her so she can open spiritual doors for others to freedom. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Julie. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. And I appreciate all you guys out there watching. Uh, you know someone needs a little hope? Hit that share button. And if you haven't liked or followed or subscribed, please do that so you'll get notifications of more inspiring interviews like this. And I'll see you again next week here on Life Today Live.